You're listening to Neuro Delight, delighting in all things neurodivergent with your host, Madeline Jane Lobsey. I literally could not be more pumped than I am right now. <laughs> Just <laughs> having this conversation. We are starting, I don't know, is it a journey maybe, a journey of conversations um, together with, it's me, Madeline, obviously, and the extraordinary Rebecca McCash of Future Tech. Hi, Beck. What a lovely intro. <laughs> I'm seriously so pumped. You know, you meet people sometimes and you just go, yep, you're my person. And, and I feel like, I don't know, we've got good brain linking. I don't know how to like it. <laughs> No, I totally, I totally see that. It's like, I don't know, like some kind of neurodivergent, like spidey sense pulls us together. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, so people know Future Tech is a STEM-based organization for autistic people, but why don't you say just a little bit about it? Yeah. So um, Future Tech is, um, as you said, it's STEAM-based social and learning programs for autistic and neurodivergent young people. Um, So we bring the kids in and we have a team of neurodivergent mentors who are all working in different fields of STEAM. So scientists, you know, software developers, and they bring their skills to share with the young people. Um, And yeah, we've been around for a couple of years now, still pretty small, um, but hoping to grow and grow with time. Yeah. Yeah, and people really love it. Like it's hard to talk about when it's you, but um, it it really does have a, a like a feeling around it. And when people talk about it, there's a lot of joy and a lot of um, praise for what you're doing. Yeah, I always have found compliments really difficult to um, to take. We actually uh, had our first advisory uh, committee meeting uh, last week, and and all of the people were saying, you know how incredible the work that we do is and how incredible I am. And I was sort of sitting like, oh, I feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't know why. I've just never I get it. Yeah, I do. I I actually do get that. Look, I don't know many people that are that great at taking compliments, but I think, um, I don't know, it does feel different, I think, for neurodivergent people. I think there is something different about it. Yeah, and I think we've spoken about it before as well. Um, when when um, we're talking about the, I think it was the Westfield grant, and you're talking about, oh, you know, people are like, congratulations, but I just feel like, okay, but there's still work to be done. And I, I think there's something in that where it's like, yeah, okay, it's great. We've, you know, achieved something amazing and that's wonderful and should be celebrated, but there is still so much to do. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. And I think when you're like you and I, the focus is not on ourselves. It's about the difference that we're making in the community, and we get our joy and inspiration from those people. So, and what get what they accomplish. So that's why I think it's also weird to be about us. Yeah, yeah. I have like I think yeah. I think I struggle with that. Um, I like many conversations I've had with people around starting a social enterprise and all this kind of thing and um, how you've sort of got to elevate yourself as as the leader of this thing and kind of talk about yourself and I just always found that really uncomfortable like I'm, I'm not 
in it really to do anything around myself. I just feel honoured to be able to, you know, walk side by side with the young people that we support. Like that's kind of the, you know, that's the joy, I think. yeah, but I think I think this is why we want to do this podcast together. I, I think you've really hit it on the head because it is about the difference. It is about the people. And I also think what makes you great and and me too, I think, is is a willingness to put ourselves in the foreground, but from a really authentic place. Like just talk about how it is versus trying to, I don't know show off maybe or prove something it's really just about authenticity and I think that in itself is a big contribution to people Mm, yeah I I actually have been writing a little article about this um kind of in a roundabout way I guess um I think I've been writing it for about a month now I keep getting distracted classic um (laughs) (laughs) but just this idea around um a lot of, I think, leaders and founders and, and people who are trying to do good in the world, they think that they have to always show up as this really strong, really together, you know, yeah. knows all the answers to all the questions. Yeah. And I just, I, I, I've never been able to do that, first of all. Like, I just can't, like, I, I can't pretend that I, you know, I'm someone that I'm not. But I also don't think it's all that helpful. No. Like when you actually like, when I've looked up to to many many incredible people who have sort of done these uh, amazing things in in this space, yeah. I sort of and thought I had to be perfect or I had to not have any feelings or not have any you know emotions or not struggle to be successful. And I just think that if we could all do a better job at just, you know, letting people know that we struggle sometimes and, you know, no one's perfect and that's okay. I actually think it's a much better approach to leadership. Um, I think, yeah, it it gives people a better role model, a more realistic role model to kind of look to. Rather than image of perfection, which is just not real (laughs) yeah well I think that's going to be the point of our whole conversations that we have because the plan is to have a series of conversations and really this idea started because we're just into everything neurodivergent like you know both (laughs) you and I are into it like uh, uh, it's probably a special interest you know is is really like the community and various approaches and what's happening politically and what supports there are and what's lacking, what's fun, um, inspiring people. And then I also think whatever we struggle with as mm. well, personally but also with what we see around us that people are struggling with. So, you know, we're just going to talk about, you know, from a special interest point of view, everything neurodivergent. And I think some of it will be like stuff we find inspiring and delightful and great. And I think some of it will be what we're going to call a neuro downer, which is the stuff we struggle with that others struggle with. So why don't we just start with, there's a lot has happened this week, actually. A lot a lot has happened this week um, for the neurodivergent community. So where do you want to start today, Beck? What do you want to start with? Oh, 
gosh. Um, should we start with the the downer or the delight first? What do you Maybe we do the downer. Let's do the downer and get it out the way. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea because I definitely have been needing to talk about this um, yeah. <laughs> to someone. And it can be hard when um, a lot of your friends and, you know, my partner is um, not really in this realm. So I don't often have someone to kind of get things out with. And um, yeah. yeah. So I guess the, the big one um, is around a paper that's been released that has been um, or is, is trying to link uh, higher prevalence of autism in Australia with the financial incentive of uh, the NDIS. Yeah. Um, so, look, which, for anybody who has no idea what you're saying, because we're so, I think sometimes we've got to step out for people who don't necessarily know. So there was a, a media article that turned into many media articles um, about a paper about the high levels of um, autistic people or autism diagnosis in Australia and stated that we were higher than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. And what then happened with that is uh, some people then said, well, it must be because in Australia with the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS, that people can access money to get funding. So they're basically trying to get a diagnosis to get money. Yes. Um, in a nutshell, yes, that is. Um, oh, gosh, where do you even start sometimes? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a a really ridiculous um thought i i mean i think first and foremost it's important to note that this uh paper was not peer reviewed um which basically means um so uh when a researcher conducts some research they release a paper and then um peers so other researchers will review their research and just sort of scrutinize it to make sure that it is accurate um so this paper has not been peer reviewed which you know should set off alarm bells um yeah. uh anyway um but i think it's just absolutely ridiculous that the media have sort of uh tunnel visioned on it the way that they have particularly right now um when we have the ndis uh independent review um to be released in probably december um, there's a lot of anxiety in the, the community already. The strategy that, you know, people have been working on, it's very public, it's very in the foreground. Um, the Royal Commission on Abuse, Neglect and Violence with yeah. Disability, like there's a lot of hype. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I almost feel like autistic people have been, and I don't know if this is just uh, a result of, you know, the algorithms and, and the fact that yes. I always get autism um but I do feel like autistic people have been singled out a lot in in the process of this review as you know um a population of people that um need to kind of uh be looked at because the NDIS um is is largely made up of, of autistic people so I think it's around 45 percent of NDIS participants are autistic but then if you look at the data, the NDIS data, you also see that while, you know, majority of participants are autistic, 
the average amount of funding that is given to an autistic person is amongst the lowest of any other disability category. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's... it's um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think I've always been taught or had the view maybe that you'll find the statistics you want to see and or you'll find the evidence that you want to find. Um, and we're all biased. We're all got conscious and unconscious bias and we're all looking at things through filters and viewpoints and perspectives. Um, but it's, it is interesting to me the statistics that get pulled out versus the statistics that don't yeah and I think like I was reflecting on this just before our chat um what I try and do with some of these things to sense check them is I'll apply the same kind of thinking to a different population to see if it would be ridiculous to kind of say something like that so um, now, I don't have any of the data around this, but so there's there's a bit of assumption here. But if you were to apply um, the large amounts of child benefit um, and, and rates of child benefit being predominantly women, would that then make sense? Well, not really, because the majority of people who have children are, are, are women and... Yes. I think it would be safe to say that autism is probably one of the most common disabilities in Australia. So then wouldn't it make sense that the majority of NDIS participants would be autistic? I think that would probably like, yeah, I just think if you apply these concepts across other populations, you start to go, well, actually, it just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think beyond all the sense, I, I mean, I can get the frustration and the, and I don't know, the the bafflement of what's happened with that paper and what people have done with it. But I think even beyond all of that, I always go to nobody wants to be diagnosed with anything, really. Like nobody goes, oh, fantastic, I'm going to be labeled with a disability and you know like or even not even about the label nobody actually wants to deal with what they're dealing with that they struggle with like if they could have choose not to have that they probably would so yeah and I think it's weird for me yeah and it's it's also just not very easy to get a diagnosis anyway no thousands of dollars and you just you struggle to imagine you know, first of all, why parents or people would go to such lengths just to get an NDIS plan that it's not like money goes into people's pockets. There are only certain things that you can actually use funding for. So if you don't need it, why would you go through all of that? And it's a very like, like, intimate, uh, intimate is probably the word, like traumatic almost process going through an autism diagnosis. It's not pleasant. Um, So why would someone subject themselves to that unless they really needed the support? Um, Like I remember even um, when I was a child, and this is back in Scotland, my younger brother was diagnosed um, with ADHD before autism. And my mum really wanted that autism diagnosis 
because it would give him better support in school that he wasn't getting otherwise and he really needed it and he only like and he he was on the cusp for the diagnostic criteria at that time um but it then opened up this you know vast array of supports that then meant that he was able to you know go on and finish school and you know go to college and now he's working full time and he's pretty much completely independent he wouldn't be there without the support that he was able to access because of his diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I don't know, Beck. I think if we could talk about this for hours, but I think for me to wrap it up, um, it's like I'm already dealing with a bunch, you know, I'm already dealing with a bunch of things in life. And then like anybody who ever has a terrible media article written, I don't really need another thing to have to defend or to, you know, like I've had many people coming to me this week about it and I don't really want to have to justify my position. And I understand that there are many groups of people and cohorts and cultural groups and religious groups and I'm not alone in that, but I just think it's another example of here here we are again demanding that the people that are already dealing with it have to explain themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it's sad. It's really sad. And I've been very sad and angry and like just having lots of emotions about all of it this week. And, you know, I'm very lucky to have such a great support network of neurodivergent friends that I can lean on and um, go to, you know, just to, be frustrated um and so I guess anybody who is feeling frustrated sad angry you know I would definitely encourage you to reach out and talk to people about it um you know you're not also just good information you know because I think that's the other thing I've been saying to people that have come to me a week other neurodivergent people panicking about it you know I've just said let's just breathe right now this is an article (laughs) Let's just breathe and get some really good information. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely the way to go. And it can be difficult to sort of sift through all the yeah. noise. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that is 100% a neuro downer. We've definitely ticked that box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we're going to talk about um I this is again we could talk about a lot of things but something that we're currently delighted by or inspired by or interested in what what would you want to talk about so I've been I've been paying a lot of attention to the world of work um and neurodivergent people uh particularly because I am um sitting on the National Autism Strategies Economic Inclusion Working Group so it's good to be up to date with this kind of stuff and I um, have noticed a couple of funding announcements from the Paul Ramsey Foundation um, one for Australian spatial analytics and one for exceptional Um, so both organizations uh, support autistic people to get jobs in tech um, both incredible organizations and this seems to be a, a blended funding arrangement where both of these organizations, I think, um, have received the government grant, the Work Integrated Social Employment, Social Enterprise, I'm not sure. Um, and 
PRF have sort of come in with additional funding as a way to ensure sustainability of the, the program. So this is a really interesting um, way of funding because um, I know that a lot of organizations um, and, and, you know, our, our organizations are definitely examples. Um, they receive a, a government grant and the government grant is time limited. And, you know, once that government grant is finished, there is no more access to funding. Um, but oftentimes the, the length of these government grants are not actually sufficient in uh, reaching a, a, a state of sustainability within the organization. They're only really big enough to sort of get the concept off the ground. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to me too, the International Day of People with the Disability this year, the theme for it is sustainable goals. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's interesting that the sustainability conversation is starting to be in the foreground. That is really interesting. I haven't seen much about um, International Day of People with Disability, but it makes a lot of sense because yeah. I do think that there's often these incredible programs and initiatives that you know, receive a bit of government support in the first um, few years, but then they sort of just dwindle off because it's often the, the government can't kind of come with the um, requirement that the services are offered for free during that funding period. And yeah. then it's like, oh, you should be sustainable now. Well, how are you supposed to reach sustainability if you couldn't, you know, charge? So I think... You know, this this um, way that PRF seems to be funding just to kind of come in at that later stage and give a little bit of a boost so that you've actually got a bit of breathing room to reach sustainability and get your business model, you know, up to scratch. I think it's it's quite exciting. Like I'm, I'm quite exciting. excited. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's, it's a new way. I've never seen it before, um, funding being done in this way. So, um, yeah, I, I guess as a as a um, result of this, I would really love to see both these organizations looking at some support for school leavers. Um, I don't know about you, but I have many, many parents come to me and they are asking, you know, what next? You know, my child's about to leave school. Like, where do where to now? And more often than not, these kids aren't ready to step into open employment once they leave school. And sometimes they're not actually ready to step into a TAFE environment or a university environment yet either. Yeah. They kind of need a little bit extra. And I know that there are SLES uh, programs around, but um, there are programs for anybody that wants, yeah, doesn't know what SLES is, school leavers. Yeah. Thanks, Madeline. Um, yeah, but they are few and far between. And I find that a lot of them are not um particularly good at supporting neurodivergent people um they're sort of they can they can often be a uh, uh, one size fits all approach yeah. and i just i mean doesn't really work for yeah <laughs> for anybody for anybody yeah, yeah yeah so i think it would be really cool um to see you know some of these organizations like filling filling that gap um because it's definitely it, it's a it's a real anxiety and just sort of for many many autistic people and families as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's a great one. That's a brilliant neuro delight to bring to us this time for this podcast. I wanted to talk about something pretty simple, but that I'm really inspired by. So, you know, at the A-List, we focus solely on social opportunities and we are a national platform. So we talk to people all over Australia about social opportunities. And um, so we're only 18 months in and we're like exponentially expanding with the number of people that are offering autism friendly or neurodivergent specific programs. Um, and how I know that is we sent out an email just going, has anybody got anything happening over the school holidays, which is often when, you know, people really want to do something with their young people or teens, young adults. And we've been inundated with all these people that are creating new programs. And it's so inspiring to see that there are all these offerings for young people. Mm, that's incredible. That's, like, I, I would be super interested to know, um, like, uh, if you know, you know, what kind of proportion of some of these programs are being driven by neurodivergent people? It's that's really hard to say because it's not data that we collect, and mm-hmm. you know there's that saying neurokin find neurokin. Um, yeah, <laughs> I every time I talk to an organisation or a provider, almost every time they go, "Oh, I'm autistic or I'm ADHD as well." You know, as we engage with them, but it's not. I can't give you numbers. Mm-hmm. I will say that. A very high portion uh, because for them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so, like, that's that's great. I think the more and more we see um, neurodivergent people, you know, creating these opportunities, I think, you know, it just, it's it's such an, it's so exciting. Like, (laughs) you know, it's funny because whenever I talk to you, it's like my brain's in a warm bath, like can relax, you know. (laughs) And But at the same time, it's also like I remember this vividly that once I went swimming in the ocean in Byron Bay and I don't know why but somehow I don't know the science of it but the ocean itself was full of bubbles, like really bubbly, like not the froth, I mean underneath in the water it was like it was like champagne-like, like bubbly and it was like amazing to float in it and exciting and felt incredible and Whenever I talk to you, it's like the warm bath and the bubbly ocean at the same time. And I think um, I think that is what it's like when neurodivergent people get together. Definitely, definitely. It's um it's a thing of beauty, that's for sure. Um, and just like, yeah, it's just lovely. I like I love the warm bath and the bubbly ocean. I'm gonna keep that one. <laughs> Good. All right, well, thank you so much, Beck. And um, we're gonna talk soon. Thanks, Madeline.